This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Okay, uh, Brad Luttrell, our guest tonight, and I also have with me Hunt Quietly regular contributor Matt Feinauer. How's things going, fellas? Good, Matt. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we were just saying that, yeah, we should. Th- this is a good ch- opportunity to throw out a plug for our new shirts. And I was saying, I think that this is clear to Matt, but maybe not to Brad, that I don't dislike hunting celebrities. Never have. I, I dislike hunting celebrity. You guys know the difference? You can pick up all the difference. I don't think it's that subtle. Yeah, it's like uh, hating the sin, not the sinner, you know? And so I don't even know if I dislike Cam Haynes. If I was hanging out with him, we might get along just fine. But I think that bragging over dead animals on social media and uh, killing 50 times more game meat than you need to sustain your family is sending hunting in the wrong direction. I think it's going to, it's like, it's leading to the ruination of my cherished pastime. It's one of the several things that's that's uh, caused hunting to decline in quality, in my view. So we have these new shirts out. If you agree with me, we have our, so Cam's signature saying is keep hammering. We have our stop hammering t-shirts on sale at cost, and you can go to huntquietly.org and order yours today. We also have another one that's uh, Hammer Quietly. So that means like the, the idea there is that we, we, like Cam, believe in working hard, but we also believe in humility. So yeah, get yours today. If you, if you think that the, the, like the vocal, outward, braggadocious, highly commercialized Cam Haynes approach to hunting is 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 sending us in the right direction. So Brad is a logical guest for the Hunt Quietly podcast. I didn't know this until one of our contributors brought it to my attention about a month ago that Brad, almost two years ago now, wrote a rebuttal to my anti-hunting social media screed that was published in Free Range American. And Brad has developed, I don't know what, how, what, how you characterize it, like a, like a, a, a social media platform that is hunting specific. Is that a... Yeah, hunting and fishing. Yeah. So being that I'm deeply concerned about hunting social media and being that Brad uh, was willing to think about my arguments enough to put pen to paper, it seems to have all the necessary trappings of a potentially fruitful discussion. So with that, Brad, thanks for coming on. Maybe we could start by with you giving us a description of what your platform, Go Wild, does. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And uh, 
I'll, I'll back up even before I go into what go out this. I would say there's a lot of areas I think we agree, which that rebuttal highlights some. Um, I think there's some areas we have similar beliefs on concerns around social media too, which people may not you know, get to if they hear the, that it was a rebuttal, because there was a rebuttal. There's definitely um, nuances, I think, between, you know, my beliefs and and some of the things I think you guys are, are uh, pushing and believe. But there was overlap. And and so uh, more, more to, than more than you more than you thought. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the article is like hunters can't hide under a rock and we got to be on social media and have a presence there. As if I didn't think that that was true. Yeah, I think the the rebuttal and is, that was like I don't know. You kind of missed some of the key sentences in the opening paragraph, of my, the article that you were rebutting, where I said that very thing. So you were like arguing against a version of my beliefs that I don't hold in a sense. Some of the writing was that way. Uh, yeah, I think there's nuance in there, but the. The rebuttal, you know, and some of the, I, I, the, I had listened to your your episode with Robbie with Blood Origins. I listened to the, uh, I guess now infamous episode with your brother. Uh, and I read the Free Range American article and I tried to rebuttal with them and they weren't interested. And so we we ran it. Um, but, you know, I think we'll get into plenty of the nuance there. But there is agreement on a lot of things. And I've been talking about the Griffin Grin thing. I think I did my first podcast where I, I floated the the concept that you guys are now pushing that, hey, grip and grins, I'm not sure this is the best thing for hunting, you know, and I, I personally um, stopped posting that kind of content on my personal social media accounts, which I don't have Facebook or Instagram anymore. I deleted those several years ago, but I've been thinking about a lot of this in the same light that you guys have. So I'm interested and I kind of emailed so you So where are you not posting? I'm not, I don't have an Instagram or a Facebook account now personally. So I'm not. Okay. I thought you were saying, I, I thought you were saying I have a social media account, but I don't put dead and I, 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 what that, that was what I was doing, but now I don't have the, no, I don't have a don't Facebook or Instagram have account at all. Yeah. No. Okay. No. And that's more of a, you know, and I kind of hit some of this on the article that I think there's dangers involved with social media too. Um, but to get to your question of like, what is go wild? So I grew up in, Southeastern Kentucky and grew up, uh, you know, in Appalachia and hunted some, fished a, a decent amount and loved like the outdoors, you know, off-roading and being outside. Um, in <clears throat> 2013 and 14, around there, started trying to get into whitetail hunting and it was harder than I thought. Like it was, it was a lot to learn and I didn't really have a mentor. And I I started, you know, trying to find answers all, all over the, the years. And it became really obvious to me as someone that was learning that this is a really regional thing to learn, right? Like advice from people in Texas in Reddit wasn't really helping me. I'm like, we don't have cacti, right? Like the deer aren't hiding in cacti where I'm at. And so I started thinking about this and really wanted to found a platform to that had a, that could help me connect with people to get some answers. So um, you know, I was, I was trying to connect with people regionally, couldn't do it. So we, we built go wild and I'll just fast forward today to answer your question directly today. Our platform, um, it's not gated. Somebody sent me, I think we showed up in the comments. Somebody was complimenting our platform on your all's post the other day. And, um, somebody said something about gated. It, I want to make clear. It's not a gated. It's free, free to sign up. So, uh, but today you can create an account, 
You can connect with local hunters. So we have like a near me feature that helps you find people near you that are posting about the things that you're interested in. You can sort that across like 70 different topics. You can share trophies and we we look at trophies differently than uh, the hunting industry. You know, you can lo- log a doe as a trophy or a spike buck as a trophy or a bluegill and then all the way up to, you know, whatever you want to put on your profile. And uh, we have a reward system and I'll be interested to hear what you guys think of this with your point of view. But um, so you get points for all your viewer interactions from trophies to logging time to, you know, sharing that you cooked uh, a wild game meal or whatever it is. And across your journey, you're you're unlocking rewards. And these could be stickers, shirts, hats, sometimes it's gear discounts. And the cool part of this is I've had parents tell me that they've let their teenagers on the platform. And this has been what really got them excited about fishing in the way that they wanted them to. You know, we're kind of meeting kids where they are, which is on screens, whether or not we like it or not, you know, and it's, it's kind of gamifying, getting them excited about it and helping them you know, kind of have access or think about it a little differently. And um, so I think that's a really cool part of it is that we've, you know, helped introduce, help some parents kind of normal, like, Hey, this is fun. Like, let me show you how this is. Um, and now I've got a dad that messaged me the other day and he's like, my daughter can't stop fishing because she loves getting to post it on her account. Um, see, that's exactly what I hate right there. I, I get it, man. I told, I understand like why you would not like it. Right. Like the, but I think like for the sake of mental health, like if I can use a screen to get someone off of it, then that's a good thing. Like if I can get kids away from other social platforms where, you know, girls are, um, you know, at high rates, you know, becoming suicidal because they use Instagram or, you know, they're they're having, you know, negative images of their own body because they use Instagram or TikTok. If I can use a phone to get them outside, I think that's a net positive, even if, you know, I understand your point, but like that, that could let she could end up in that situation. Like the logical progression there is she become like those women that in that documentary, the women that kill lions. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it was came out in 2017. It's about these two. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, though. Uh, it was like on um, influencers, really, a lot of them, right? Like a lot of the African hunts. It was about two women profiled, two, women. two social media huntresses. Okay. And one of them brought so much backlash on herself that she was quasi-suicidal. She had all kinds mm. of health problems. Yeah, so I like, mean, I would argue most people that get into the outdoors, though, don't end up hunting at lions, you know? No, no. I, I, I agree that that's yeah. yeah. I'm just saying I don't know that. I, I, I just when I when I hear now I can't get now she wants to go hunting every day because she can't wait to post about it. That's exactly mm. what I hate. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, if if you want to do it because you want to post about it, you're definitely in it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if I'm getting a kid excited about going outside to start with. I'm I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of that we're we're getting kids outside. A um, couple other things on the app. We have like a you know there's a really cool AI chatbot that helps people with questions. You know the platform you can post and ask a question in the community, and the algorithm will actually help find people that thinks can answer your question. So it's a good way for mentorship. You you can I I've learned a lot of things through the platform. I had never really shot art uh, a bow or had done archery at all before Go Wild and totally learned to do it through mentorship through the platform. Um, and now I love bow hunting. It's, you know, it's amazing. Um, it's expanded my season significantly. And we have a chat bot because we noticed that like, if you got on there and ask a really nuanced in the weeds question, you might not get answers. And we're like, well, we have all this data we could use in a good way to help people learn. 
And so we built a chatbot that can help you with, um, it does okay with things like uh, regulations. I wouldn't depend on it. But if you were like, hey, I'm posting, I'm hunting near Lexington, Kentucky. Where can I find public land? Like what public lands near me? And it'll actually tell you and it can give you a link to the website and help you, you know, find these resources that honestly on some of the state websites can be kind of hard to find sometimes. Um, And then the last thing I'll kind of mention for this audience, we have a podcast log. So people log what shows they're listening to. And that's been really cool because I mean, I've met so many podcasters in the space uh, through this of, you know, getting to, and some of them have become really good friends of mine uh, through just through kind of seeing people what people are talking about. Um, you know, the guys from Ohio outdoors, we met through Go Wild. And, um, you know, I was just texting with them today. I texted them almost more than my own parents. You know, it's like they're I'm on a text start with these guys now. So um, a lot it's a lot of functionality packed into one thing. But most people kind of sum it up as it's it's kind of like a deer camp, man. I mean, you, you you know, you're talking gear, you're talking about the, you know, the pursuit. And what's cool about our platform is it's not just trophies. I know I called out we have a trophy feature, but we really try to encourage people to log their time. So if you went hunting and didn't get anything, you know, try to tell that whole story, um, even having some food functionality in there to where like a whole forum for food that people can post in. Uh, Matt, are you the one on Reddit? Are you, are you using Reddit? Uh, I don't know which one of your guys is uh, on the subreddit uh, for hunting. No, that that is someone else. Okay, uh, any interaction through with me is going to be over Instagram. Okay, cool. I know you guys are on there though, but like it's it's our platform really is very similar to Reddit in that you have like a subreddit which we call Trails. So it's kind of like a a, a Reddit for for hunting and fishing. And, and you get tokens for like gear that are accrue per unit time on the mm, platform is not that exactly what? that's close but it's a little different than that so like if you were to log like three hours hunting um like if i went hunting last night and i, I logged that i was out for three hours it gives you a point so it's a point system based on that so you get points for that so you get points um, for how many hours you were hunting yeah and then like uh if you log a podcast you get points and all what do you of this mean log, of, like if you what do you mean log a podcast so like I after the after I listened to this show, I could go on and hit uh, you know, you hit log, um, logged podcast, and then it'll I can pull up this exact show which one I listened to. So it'll actually pull up your feed when they search for it, and then they can pick which show they listen to, and then it it's gives them points for logging that and sharing that with the community. And a lot of people do it and share what they agreed with, what they didn't agree with, or tagging other members on their posts. I just got tagged in a few right before I was checking my go all the count before I got on here and kind of interacting with some people. But yeah, you're getting points along the way. And then a lot of times it's like when you first get started, a lot of it's like shirts, stickers, hats from us and that we pay for. A lot of it's totally free. Um, and then over time, you're you're getting like discounts, like you might get 25% off optics or something like that. So it's, you know, our business model, it, we're, we're making a majority of our money through the e-com side of the business. We have a shop that you can shop through. So that's kind of our reward back to you. You know, if you use these other platforms, you're the data that they're using to sell and you don't get anything for it other than use of the platform. So we've looked at it a little bit differently and said, well, if you're sharing your story and you're contributing to our community, we'll give you something back. And sometimes it's in the form of like a 10%, 20% off, or sometimes it's, you know, specific to a brand or something that is, is a really good discount. Gotcha. And Brad, you mentioned, uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think, you know, marketing specifically for kids to get out, but is there... Is there a specific goal of we're looking, we are looking to get this specific age group out or is, is there a a kind of a blanket? Everyone appeals to this. Everyone's looking to try and get points. Yeah. So we, we, um, 
historically, I've worked with Raising My Doors, which is a nonprofit. It was founded by Aaron Crooks. Um, and we were donating a um, portion of our proceeds to her quarterly. Um, and so we've supported her camp. I was on the board of her camp for three years. And so that was a big focus for us was introducing kids to the outdoors. Um, and, and a lot of those kids are kids that have interests, but don't have mentors. A lot of them were urban kids that, um, their parents knew that they had interests, but they didn't know how to do it. And so it's her camp. Um, you know, there's some state programs that do something similar to that, but she was really good at pulling a hundred kids in at a camp, teaching them archery and fishing and how to shoot and gun safety. And, um, so I would say we've worked a lot with that age range, which, you know, a lot of them were probably as young as five and up through like 10 or 11. And we still work with that camp some. It's now run by uh, Lynn and Lacey Hoffman. Um, they took it over. They're out of Alaska. They're they're really growing it well up there. Uh, but that's that's the core age range. When we've had any kind of initiative, we've, we've focused on helping kids that want to learn about it, but maybe have had less opportunity. I, I guess a follow-up would be, you know, I, I could see from an individual basis, so a lot of the benefits, you know, getting outside, getting, getting used to being outside, you know, used to hunting and all that. I've found that hunting is very tricky as between a finite and, and more of an infinite um, process where this particular season might be a finite thing. And where I see a lot of organizations, a lot of nonprofits focus on this individual season and, and forget that there's going to be a, ne- a, a season next year or a season 10 years, 15 years from now, or are we, are you setting up, you know, 15 years from now, 25, 30 year olds sitting there saying, okay, I need to stay out in the duck blind two hours more so I can get another token or another point. No, man, I don't think anybody looks at it that way. I mean, if you guys use the platform, it's not gamified to that level. Um, the, the points are fun. It's just a, an extra cherry on top. Um, the, the idea being that if I'm meeting someone where they are and kids are on screens, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, I can teach them about something and they're going to fall in love with it or not. Right. But there's no doubt that there's a positive impact from teaching kids about this. Um, there's a, there's a really good book called irresistible, the rise of, uh, technology and business and keeping us hooked It's by Adam Alter. And part of this book talks about a group of kids that spent hours and hours online, right? Like they were, they were normal kids and they signed up for this archery camp and the, they weren't allowed to use the screens at all during this. And they tested them to see how well they could read emotional cues before. And then they did the camp and, um, before the camp, you know, they had errors in, in reading emotional signals, you know, normal human interaction they had a 30% drop in those errors after just one week of learning archery and being outside. You know, that's the power of what we're talking about here. So, you know, if I can give, if someone wants to come back and post for five minutes on my platform, but they gain three hours outside, even if they do want to do, as you said, that's still a net positive in my mind. Like there's, there's data to back up that there's benefits there um, from how people are going to, what they're experiencing outside, you know? Do you, my, I, I guess where I want to go is so I, I give you background on me. I, I am a mental health professional in my, during my day job. Sure. But I'm not um, trying to not troll people on, 
on Instagram. When he's not ruining um, his own mental health on Instagram. <laughs> um, do you have data that's, that shows how long people are spending on your app at a time? Because, you know, five minutes on a screen time and three hours out in the su- outside sounds good, but is that actually happening? At what age range, age ranges is that happening? And are you guaranteeing that they're not still going to Instagram? They're not still going to Facebook afterwards? No, man. I mean, I have no control over and I don't have data. That's not how apps work. I don't have data to see like what else you're using. Um, We don't have like the software development kits that Facebook and TikTok use to where they have access to so many different apps. And a lot of that's been throttled lately. But um, the no, I can't I can't say that they're for sure not. But the point being are they getting to that good content on those other platforms? Are those other platforms incentivizing them to get outside? You know, are they, are they having the result like that dad talked to me about, you know, I mean, do you guys, like, I, I would argue from listening to some of your all's arguments that you think they're learning the wrong reasons on those platforms to get outside. Um, and, you know, for, for us, uh, when I see people post on that, they have got their first deer and they learned a lot of that, the skill set through our platform, you know, I think we're putting a lot of tools at their fingertips um, that that they're just not able to get. You know, it's one thing to see that like an influencer is doing this and I think it's cool. I'm going to try to figure it out. But like I give you the tools to learn how to do it. You know, that's that's really the difference um, in, in us versus them. I, I can tell you our time on the app. Um, I don't know if I haven't looked this up in the last couple of months, but it's like the average is probably eight minutes a day total for the like on average. Um, when you look at a Facebook or an Instagram, you're talking closer to an hour. So, you know, we're nowhere near as invasive as a lot of those platforms. We've even talked about putting like a shutoff for, because we obviously have people that are probably using our platform for an hour a day. We've talked about capping it um, uh, at the end of the day, but the the where that argument falls apart, it's like, well, if you're using the app as a tool to prepare for something, then that would kind of suck if you got kicked off of the app as you're trying to prepare for a hunt. So that's kind of where we've always ended up and ending that discussion. Um, but, you know, we're really committed to making sure that it's being used for a net positive. Man, conversations like this are becoming so difficult for me because it's like they end up going down the same path. Like they just end up in the same place. Which path? Like, what, what's the path? Okay, so one path that it can go down is like this bit about how to and this insatiable need for how to. And I'm somebody that didn't learn anything from media. So I think that the reason people, a a reason why people think that they need so much instruction is because media has cultivated this image of these hunting know-it-all gods. And so that the common person, the kid or adult onset hunter or whatever thinks, wow, all the know-how it must take to achieve that level. And it and you must also have to buy lots of stuff. I I, I just think that there's a it, it has to be that people perceive a higher barrier to entry than there really is just because of this like these this image of these hunting celebrities is so knowledgeable you know i yep. i started hunting when i was 8 years old never read a book about how to hunt my dad taught me like pull back the string and then 
put put the arrow in there first and let it go. Climb up that tree, put some apples on the ground. Maybe a deer will come by. And, yeah. And that, when I moved to Montana, I did read like two books on elk hunting. They were terribly outdated. They're like, and those <laughs> what did elk evolved? What do you mean they're outdated? <laughs> <laughs> they they, they kind of have in a sense. And that's, yeah. you just made, well, I guess that, that's yeah, awesome, like a, Brad, because that's, that's an argument I always make. It's like, yeah. oh, are you relying on last year's YouTube video? You better get with yeah. the tie. You know, but, but they, there's here's one case where it's really true because my understanding is that elk used to be incredibly easy to call in. Mm, now they're more sensitive to it because oh. of hunting pressure. I haven't hunted elk, man. Uh, so that's like one area that I, I can't speak to a ton. But I think to your I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, when I first started trying to get into it, and my dad didn't know anything about deer hunting. He never did it. He taught me to hunt squirrels. That's what we did growing up. And when I started reading about it, a lot of the content out there does make it like in order to achieve something that's worth somebody watching video, it has to seem hard, right? And so they're they're like talking through all <laughs> that's these. A, that's an awesome way. You know what I'm saying? It. That's an awesome you know? way of putting it. Yeah, it's like so they 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 are creating a video of like we came in and it was this crazy scenario. The wind was nuts and and we had to do this and this and this. And you're like, oh my god, they're 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 throwing so much at you when you're new. Um, you know, I live this more re you said you were eight like i can remember doing this because it was you know and this was pre the explosion of youtube there wasn't as much content out there and the content out there was terrible um but i remember reading a lot of the articles that were out there even and and the base level of knowledge you had to have on some of these articles though to even understand what they were talking about like they were talking about play the wind and i was like i don't understand really what that means i mean obviously i don't want the deer to smell me got that part but like for whitetail hunting specifically when it said to like set up uh, to play the wind. I'm like, well, do I want that? You know, I didn't really understand how to think through that. And, um, cause it, it can change. There's variables. Where do I put my stand based on this wind? Do I want it going out in the field? Should it be going behind me? Like I had no idea. And I think like where it's I want, like there's more to it than just like, I think he's going to come from that way. So I better put my stand over here because it the wind be. is blowing that way. Well, it can it, be, it but just the, seems like kind of like but just to give you an example, like my buddy texted me yesterday. Um, I was going to take him hunting with me. I took him hunting with me yesterday. And I said I was going to set up my saddle over here. And I showed him where on the map. And he's like, oh, you saddle hunt. Can you show me about that? And I'm like, actually, I'm just going to send you some videos that we had made on how to saddle hunt that were super easy to explain. Like, explains it. I, 30 minutes later, he understood it totally. And he's like, oh, my God, I got to get a saddle, right? And I think there's a lot of ways for someone that's you're always learning, right? Like I grew up. Um, with, with my uncles who would go out and do kind of like what you just said of like, we're going to hunt that tree. I'm going to use a climbing stand and that's it. Maybe a deer comes through and maybe it doesn't. But when, you know, he's been hunting his whole life and he wanted to learn something new, how-to videos were awesome. But I do think there's a lot of creators out there that specialize in making it seem inaccessible. And a lot of the Western hunts, you know, it's like, do I really have to be in like elite ultra marathon shape to be able to elk hunt? I don't think so. Right. But that's like the perception you could get from some of the content that's out there. You mentioned campaigns, like you don't have to be a, an ultra marathoner to be able to elk hunt. You know, you don't have to put in 25 miles a day to be able to do, do this pursuit. But a lot of the content that's out there with that kind of personality behind it would make would make it seem like you might, right? Like that's that's where I do agree with some of the content has become it's like specializing and overcomplicating it versus yeah, yeah. someone that really yeah. explains it, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. That you said it way better than I did. 
Brad, is there discussion on what content you're going to allow versus what content you don't allow it? For example, you know, what drives me nuts is I, I, I see so many videos that post insane distances that people are shooting mm. 800, 900, a thousand yards. And there's no disclaimer of, Hey, I'm a, a U.S. sniper that I've been shooting this distance for 20 years. Don't do what I'm doing. But there, there is zero, how do you put it? There is zero accountability on people who are posting that to say, don't do this. Um, I, and I, Cam Haynes is a perfect example because he's constantly posting 100-yard, 80-yard bow shots. And it's and not saying, to pick on him, this. right, man? I mean, it's like there's a, a no. bunch of these. Yeah, there's a ton. Of, I, I, uh, to get to Matt's point, um, we 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 have to have something we can enforce consistently, Matt. Um, we're required by the app stores to, if we, in order to stay in the app stores, we have to have a consistent policy that we can enforce. And what we can enforce is is making sure you're posting legal content. Um, our our terms of service are very different from other platforms because we do have a policy against hunter harassment. So you can't harass someone for anything that's legal. And so what's interesting is um, if someone did post what you're talking about and you harass, now you can say you disagree, you can disagree with people all day long, but if you start name calling and threatening or anything like that, you'll be deleted from our platform. We don't tolerate the, that. And um, that helps keep us protected from, you know, if an animal rights activist were to come in and start that, and we've, we've deleted people for that, not a ton, but we, we have. Uh, but where that normally comes in is if someone's, shaming a kid for shooting a spike buck you are deleted like that we won't even think about it like i'm not going to tolerate that that kid's proud of that you should not that's not how we should treat somebody that was excited about their first deer right or even a, a, an adult if it's an adult that was proud of you know hey i know it's the, what i hate seeing is uh someone saying and this is an impact of social media it's not big but i'm proud of it like i hate that they have to lead in with that right but they've learned that through those social platforms where you know, you're seeing people post 200 inch whitetails all the time. And, you know, you may have worked hard for your first public land, uh, four point or six point or whatever. Um, you know, we really believe in allowing people to share that and trying to encourage them. That's why we we decided to do our trophy system has does, it has cow elk, you know, you anything can be a trophy. It's in the eyes of the beholder, right? So uh, we really encourage people to share that and be proud of it. And, and so the, you know, on, on things that, I mean, houndsmen, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, you know, have disagreements on that. People have disagreements on crossbows, but in our eyes and, and per our policy, if it's legal, we allow it. Is there, cause I think there's a, a distinct difference between what's legal and what's ethical. And there, there are things that are very unethical to do that are very legal to do. Is there any discussion on where is our line? Where is the boundary that we're going to draw on what is ethical versus what's unethical? Give me an example. Um, showing what about video, beating? Well, go ahead, Matt. I had one. I was going to say the first thing that comes to my mind is I've, I've seen videos at like local sportsman stores that show um, videos of coyotes getting smacked by a you know a three hundred mag at close range and they there's not much left or they they're barely alive. And then they send, they send their dogs in to tear it apart. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, uh, common ones shooting turkeys out of, out of a tree, out of the roost where that's legal in some States and illegal in other States. 
Um, generally, a lot of most people would probably consider that unethical. You know, things like that. Yeah. So here's the thing, Matt. If I take that down, I rob the community of the discussion. And we've had this discussion a lot with, um, it usually happens with younger, either inexperienced hunters or kids. You know, we've seen kids that are shooting songbirds and they'll post it and we could delete it. And that one is illegal. You know, there's, there's, you know, uh, a law against even like house cats. I had a kid that shot a feral cat one time and we had the discussion of because there was a good thread forming and, you know, we kind of get put into a spot on that of like, well, and then in those examples are legal. So we did end up taking it down. But the, you know, the the thing we always talk about is if we take it down, the discussion dies and there was nothing learned from it. So as long as the audience and our audience is really cool, we have a great community and there are some really good veteran hunters who will usually jump on and talk through like, hey, you know, I get you have the right to do that or the legal right to do that. But here's why I disagree. And so if we had taken that down, discussion never happens. We're the bad guy because we're, you know, we're censoring them. Uh, but in, in a lot of those situations, we've decided to leave it up because the discussion is actually where the education happens. What was your example, Matt? Oh, it was similar to Matt's. I just saw a, vi- I saw a video this spring of this dude runs down a coyote with a snowmobile and then it's not dead. So he picks it up by the bat legs and beats it against mm. the hood of the snowmobile until yeah i don't know like, man that that, it's just that one, like, that's it's just, that's too much you know i think that yeah. would that would probably um i do think we have something in terms of service and i can't remember off the top of my head i don't have it memorized but i think there is some there is animal abuse i think there's it's called out in there so that would be uh possibly against the terms okay and stuff gets reported and it goes into our system and we review it immediately and sometimes there's team discussion you know yeah one thing i just one thing that makes these discussions so difficult like if, when I talk to hunting personalities or or this one, somebody that's running a platform like this, is I just don't believe that showing people what you shot, strangers what you shot, does any good. I think yeah. it boosts the price of hunting, turns hunting into a popularity contest, like incentivizes killing for terrible reasons. It causes the leasing and privatization of wildlife, leasing of land. It, 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 I just don't see it at all as helpful. I, I'm, I, I do see where there's some benefits to having it like yours as opposed to on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Um, spe- I mean, yeah, you're not going to go viral and run into a bunch of PETA members. you know. Right, that's- right. But that's just for the record. That's never been my concern. Has never been the antis. It's been the list that i just rattled off you know but uh, yeah yeah right that's good that's good that it that you know that 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 uh you would probably like the fact like we don't have a ton of influencers using the platform because they've got these multi hundred thousand followers on instagram already built up they don't want to start over so when you come into our platform it's just regular guys and gals, you know, it's, that, it's, it's a that's lot. cool. I, it just, it makes me wince that little Johnny's on there showing his I, first buck. Yeah. And getting, and getting addicted to that a dopamine hit of like people clapping for him that, ugh. but, but at the same time, like that's a really memorable thing for him. And like, it should be a celebrated moment, you know? Um, and amongst it, friends and family agreed. Yeah, among well, story, and, uh, strangers, uh, uh-uh. uh, and you know it's not just me. It's like the Inuit thought this way. 
Native American Indian tribes thought this way. The Jutiscansi in Africa thought this way. All the African tribes, as far as that, really discouraged any kind of bragging or drawing your attention to yourself for hunting accomplishments. So, like, in a sense, it's like, I, I, I see what we're trying to do here is perpetuate the original orientation of society towards harvested animals. You know? Yeah. What, what I like about it with our platform, I share all my hunts all my, on there, like all the hardships. Um, and then at the end of the season, I get to show how it worked out for better or worse. Like I, I accidentally tagged out on um, Kentucky only get one buck tag. And unfortunately, we're a state that, you know, if it has an antlers, it's, it's a tag. It's not one of the, I think Michigan's is like three inches or, or like there, there's a minimum. I, well, I don't I remember should, there. Montana's four and in, four inches. I know. Yeah. I remember Michigan because, uh, my buddy lives there now and he's like, are you sure you got to tag that out? And I'm like, I do, man. But I shot a, a doe at a hundred, a spike, doe. a spike doe at a hundred yards and his ears were up. And there were, I had passed on this deer. I passed. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about shooting him like six times during the season. And then I, um, I was really frustrated that day because I accidentally passed on my my buck I wanted that I had seen in person. I wasn't running any cameras that year or anything. I'd seen him three or four times and decided like I'd like to shoot that buck, really mature buck. And I accidentally passed on him because I thought he was a different one until it was too late and I couldn't shoot at him anymore. He was a bullet would have gone in the neighbor's property and I was all worked up and I ended up shooting this doe, what I thought was a doe because I wanted to meet. And uh, I get up to roll that deer over and I see these two little tiny, we call, I ended up nicknaming him toothpicks just for myself because uh, he had these little toothpick antlers on top. Um, but I posted it and shared that whole story, you know, like the, and, and that's cool. Like all, all my buddies on Go Wild could kind of laugh and like, I, and it made me feel better because I had guys I really respected as hunters. They're like, man, I've done it. Like, you know, it's happened to me. And I, from what I've heard of you from your, your, some of your conversations, I haven't listened to a ton, but I, I got to listen to a few once we kind of started talking about doing this show. I've heard that some, some of your concerns are not sharing the whole story, right? Oh, and I think, yeah. And hey, yeah. let me just pause you there and just say that's awesome. Yeah. The, the great Harvard economist Thomas Sowell said there's, there's no solutions, only trade offs. So, in the name of not making perfect the enemy of good, I would say that that's great that yeah. you show your fails. Um, but man, that is not how this goes. No, in a vast majority, no. Of, I that I can tell you because I have firsthand experience with the top top people, and they all fucking bullshit people. They do. There's a lot of that, man, and I think. I, I listened to, um, I didn't listen to all your conversation with Randy, but I, I just think the way you're challenging people is good. For the record, I think this is great that we're making people think about the content they're creating. and Or whether I, I, they should be creating any. Yeah. Hey, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that too. Um, but, you know, the there people, I, I've, I've been in the industry since 2017 now, been to the shows. I know a lot of people and I've heard horror stories that would make you sick even on the sponsorship side of people that, you know, they'll shoot with one thing and then, you know, got to do all my sponsored photos. And then they come swapping out the hats and all the stuff that they use in it. A lot of it's gross. I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I, I, I'm interested to talk to you a little bit about like 
how can we use social media for good? And you guys seem to be more in line with this than I originally thought. Like once I, uh, one of your guys commented on Reddit, I hadn't heard of this podcast. I kind of keep in my own bubble. I've been focused on my own thing. I don't mean that as an insult to you guys. I um, just hadn't heard of it. And then I realized that you were using social media to promote the show and the discussions and the narratives and, and the show in the sense that it's talking about what you're you're saying. I'm not trying to say you're trying to make money on it. Um, but I'm curious now, like, where do you guys stand on using social media to create a narrative that's positive for hunting? Besides just like your mission of getting people to unfollow hunting influencers, like where do you stand on using social media for the positive narrative? Um, I, there are a few pages that I really like, um, and, but it has, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with hunting. The, the one that I say would be better for people to follow would be things like the howl where there's, there are legal bills that come through that need people's attention that people need to be informed on. There's another, I think it's, it's, it refers to native grasslands, but it basically educates people on more native grasslands are healthy for the environment. But I, I, I really struggle with social media because it turns, there's too much money involved. I don't think hunting should have any, should have anything to do with money. When you, when you get sponsors involved, when you get money involved, suddenly Every nonprofit out there is concerned with what is their bottom line in terms of dollars, and what does that what do what does that look like online? Um, in turn, it, let's say someone screws up online, no one's able to call them out. No one's able to publicly on social media say, "I am mad at comp or I am upset with Company X because they did this one thing." Where we've called out an inappropriate behavior on social media, either by individuals or by companies. And it doesn't land very well because no one wants to stir up that kind of storm on social media. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be that helpful unless you're just using it for educational purposes. Can I ask a clarifying question to you, Matt? Um, Can you dive in a bit deeper to hunting shouldn't have money involved? Yeah. um, You've got, uh, monetization based off posts. You have influencers that are saying, I need to be able to post today because I haven't posted in a few days, which maybe that means they go on an extra hunt that they need, didn't need to go on. Maybe that means that they're spending for, you know, more time away from kids or from families that they don't need to do their, the monetization. There's thousands of dollars that can be made off of one post that completely ruins the purpose of even taking the picture in the first place of something, right? Uh, if I, if I'm a social media influencer and I have hundreds of thousands of followers, which a lot of these people do, I've got companies coming in saying, we'll pay you $10,000 to post about our, our product. We do that. And then they're online saying, this is the greatest thing I've ever used. You have to use this product. Um, if you want to be successful out there, which is a lie, Right. And all of it starts with how much money can you make based off of what you take a picture of? Yeah, there, there's very I mean, you said it's a lot, but like I would argue compared to other industries, there's actually very few people that could get paid 10 grand a post um, for, and for their. Grand's, uh, and it's an exaggeration. Even a thousand, though. I mean, thousand, like, let's say you make 500. a post. Yeah. Right? Does that incentivize you to 
shoot shit that you don't need. Yeah. yeah or, no, I, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, an art, I'm just saying like, I think that might be overstated that there's that many. Um, cause I've looked at like the, the top influencer list. And I think by far we have a weaker, um, industry. The, the, the difference is from a social perspective that our influencers aren't getting, uh, you know, they're not reviewing coffee mugs or, uh, you know, a, a, frozen meal it's something that you know that that they took action and took a life and i understand your all's point on that and i think you all have brought up some good points on people that are killing for content i think where i've struggled a little bit with the and I, this is where i'd like some more clarification maybe is on the industry itself should it be it seems like you all want a smaller industry and i'd be curious to hear your feedback on that i don't care about if the industry gets bigger or smaller I just want them to emphasize, I want them to focus on different things. Like, I want them to stop being our enemy. And you think they're the enemy through the content that they're incentivizing? They celebrate everything that I think is detrimental to hunting. Like people, Mm -hmm. like braggadocious people that kill way more than they need. And they market hunting land. They contribute to the biggest problems in hunting today. Those being, they don't do anything for access. That's another big one. Instead of like helping with access in a meaningful way, the hunting industry commodifies access. So I don't care if it's bigger or smaller, but in my mind, the biggest hunting and problems, hunting's and problems in hunting today are inability to get a tag when you want one, crowding. And lack of access. And I think of the hunting industry in many, many ways is contributing significantly to those challenges. Yeah. I have questions. I on think the tags. instead of like celebrating some idiot that shoots five elk a year, celebrate a group like our Hunters for Access nonprofit that's trying to open up access. Yeah. I understand Call what you're saying out, now. Uh, when, are you gonna, when are we ever going to see a hunting company like call out bullshit? like this company that we're always railing against uh, land trust that's sucking land out of our government funded problems that pro- programs that allow everybody to hunt incentivizing them to go with this lease company instead. It's just the lack of concern of the industry for the lack of access and diminishing access. It's like, it, it just, it's just pretty easy to be frustrated with what they celebrate and what they ignore. Yeah. I, I think there's an opportunity for you guys to continue to clarify that. I've listened to some of your stuff, and I think sometimes it comes off as anti-industry, which I don't think you actually would want because, you know, a lot of what we want to protect and, and you're passionate about protecting gets protected because it has this inherent value behind it, which is the industry, you know. When something doesn't have value behind it in, in like a multi-billion dollar industry that is responsible for the amount of jobs that could compete with the construction industry, right? Like it's a big thing that we're talking about here um, across hunting and fishing. And, you know, when it has value, we are inclined to protect it because it has a, a monetary interest to everyone, right? I think that's why we we are successful in, uh, you know, combating a lot of the legislation that comes out is because a politician can get behind it, right? They can get behind understanding the why we should protect this besides our traditions you know um 
and I, I and this will be interesting too. I'm sure we'll get into creating more hunters, but like the hunting industry is creating more hunters because they buy gear. You guys have said that. I I, I get that, but it's also, you know, the as a stronger industry, um, you know, these efforts are putting money in that's helping protect hunter rights. It's helping fund conservation, even if indirectly and ignorantly to many. Like I think, I think the whole conservation thing is so overstated because I know plenty of hunters that have no idea how their tag dollars get used. They don't know about excise tax and the Pittman-Robertson Act, right? But I think if we tow too close to a socialism mindset of like, no one should have to pay for this. It shouldn't have value. And I'm not saying that's what Matt was saying. I'm just giving an example. I, I think you can almost, it almost comes across sometimes that that's how you guys are, are wanting to see it. So I would almost encourage you to like, try to refine a little bit to what uh, Matt Rennell just said uh, of, you know, in, in which aspects of that, that you guys want to see changed. Um, you know, we can't, I don't think we can lose our industry power. Like to me, it's really important uh, when it comes to the, when, when things go to a bow or to a, to when uh, litigation, you know, that we have an industry that can pay for lobbyists like Sportsman's Alliance, you know, a lot of that gets funded through the industry and through people that have come up through the industry and care about the industry. Um, you know, the, I think a lot of this is like, like as an analogy, I think this is what like part of the education problem is with this country is that on, on the surface, like we all know education is super important, but we don't fund it at all. And like we, we make really dumb decisions to protect it. Right. But a lot of it's because the payoff is so it's five steps away from like, oh, teachers should make more money because this is so critical that we have a good education system, right? Like, I don't want to see our industry slip to a point to where if we had, you know, a quarter of the hunters we do now, what would that do to us overall? You know, what would that do to the groups that are fighting to protect the rights uh, to to have access to a lot of these lands? So I, I think it's, I, th I, I guess the final, just to wrap up I, the thought there, and I may have rambled a little bit, but I think like as you guys work on what you're doing here, it'll be important to figure out how you position that. I think to kind of go along with with what Matt's saying, and Brad, maybe I could touch back on, on what you were saying too, is there that we we are dealing with an industry that is unwilling to accept any type of feedback. Uh, what we're going through right now on our Hunt Quietly side of things is a really good example with uh, Eric Siegfried and OnX, where we have found that Eric Siegfried has leased up landlocked public land or leased up private land that locks our blocks public land and keeps people from entering it, which, you know, if you know who Eric Siegfried is and his association with Onyx. Yeah, I know. I know Eric and I. And backwards with what. Yeah, it, what's, what makes it like exceedingly uh, hypocritical is that he spent a few years like really beating the bushes about what a shame it was we can't get to landlocked public land. And then he he monopolizes the, behind the scenes all the while he's monopolizing access to pub, landlocked public land. The frustrating thing too is there's not a single statement from Onyx even commenting on it, wanting to say, yeah, we're working on this or, you know what, this is an exception. It's it, There's nothing, right? They're not saying anything. They're They're ignoring any type of, attempt to have any any conversation Sitka gear we we had an episode a few months ago about uh Sitka gear doing almost the exact same thing um leasing up land that could be used 
for the general public to to hunt on. Instead, paying uh, a snowboarder to go hunt a bull that costs twenty thousand dollars. So the monetary issue. I mean, I understand that there there are companies that need to make money, but there should never be a a bull on any unit that someone's paying twenty thousand dollars to go pay. And there are a few different ranches. I'm I live in Utah. There's a few different ranches where these people will go pay. $20,000 for a bull, $10,000 for a buck. Um, we have governor tags that are over $100,000 uh, for some of these states. It's, it is beyond what any type of gain should be made. And it's turned into a rich man's game. There is no accountability on anything on anyone in the industry recognizing this is costing too much. We are pricing people out. Land trust is a great is a great example too. I asked I asked land trust when they they commented on our on our page a while ago. I said, "Do you have any or any goal? Are you making any effort to lower your prices to allow more people to hunt these lands or to make them more accessible?" And it's crickets. And so I think it is. It is deceitful for the we, we live in a very what they live very deceitful hunting industry right now that's wanting to say that we're the good guys, but they have no intention to actually do good things for the general public. I feel like that's a really wide sweeping statement to lump the whole industry in with that, and I can't speak to. I know um, the founder of Land Trust, but I don't know. I can't speak. I told you guys I'm not as up to date on some of the stuff going on that you're you're talking about with land. And especially out west, like I've I've just never played that game on the tag system. I've heard friends complain about it, and I've I sent you guys a link even before the show. Like I th I think there's definitely some lift of non-residents in the west that's made it competitive on the tags, which I think is what you guys are getting at. And well, and the east, yeah. Uh, uh, look at look at what has happened to turkey tags. They become very, very difficult to to get in in some eastern states now. For example, yeah, there are and other like countries. I, like up until last year, you could hunt in Nova, uh, Saskatchewan for ducks all season long, and now you have to draw a tag. And if you get the tag, you can only go for 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 seven days. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with like a lot of turkey issues. And one one state that comes to mind, I think Wisconsin has like a a draw where you get a window, which is uh, kind of like what you're saying. But I think generally in the East, you know, the the tags are there uh, for most of the states I'm familiar with. But again, I, I don't want to speak out of my element. I don't want to pretend to be no, an expert but no, on that. I, like, I could pull it up right now, but several yeah. states have gone from over the country. I, I, I couldn't even argue with you yeah. on, on that. Um, I, I mean, think, it, and that they're still hiring the hunting public to like drum up interest in turkey hunting in those states so it's like yeah i mean hey man but the, the the flip side of that coin is you know there there are still a lot of opportunities for hunting in a lot of these states like georgia's one where i think they're you know turkeys have gotten competitive but there's still a ton of opportunity to bring in new hunters into small game i think part of the challenge you know we've lost so much small game hunting since the 80s and a lot of that's youth sports you know people aren't really like looking for entertainment with their kids now most most people if you've got two or three kids in sports like it eats up all your time i don't and think it's possible to direct what people hunt for i mean we could talk about whether we. i mean but isn't people. that your whole platform we, though like no. that people people have been directed to hunt elk uh, through influencers hunt at all through influencers i don't like 
either, but that's definitely the content's definitely targeting big game though, right? Okay, I don't think it's possible to to say I'm going to recruit a squirrel hunter and they will only hunt squirrel, or I'm going to recruit a small game hunter. Their 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 natural curiosity is going to be to be like, okay, kind of like you did. You used to hunt squirrels. Now you hunt other stuff. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's possible to be like. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to develop a hunter recruitment program that just mints squirrel hunters. I just, I don't think it works that way. Yeah. I mean, you, you, that's not a bad argument. I understand what you're saying on the leasing. I, I, I like like a a lot of the things I've seen you guys working on. Like if uh, Matt, you founded a nonprofit that's trying to turn leases into public land. Is that right? Is that what I saw you talking about? No, no. Clarify that for me. What are you working on? So what, and I co-founded, and, and Matt Feinauer is heavily involved in this, so is, are several other people, but what we founded a group called Hunters for Access, and what we do is we raise money for appreciation gifts and do work projects on people's land that is enrolled in government programs sportsman funded programs there well a lot of them are funded by sportsmen a lot of them are some of them are funded by uh, the farm bill so people that enroll these land their land their private property in these programs that allow public hunting we buy appreciation gifts for those people and do work projects on their property so they're basically opening up their leases though to like making it public access though right yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, not their leases, their their deeded land. Yeah, their land that they could lease, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think like, that's I don't cool. know. A lot of the frustration for me is how this isn't even our day job. Mm-hmm. That's a counselor. I'm a research ecologist. The guy that headed up the our president is a tractor repairman. How in the world are we the ones that are having to do this? The hunting industry should be on this like stink on shit and instead what are they doing buying working lands subdividing them and selling them as exclusive hunting properties and yeah, there's, there's some of that I, I, but there's a what lot about, of that but but there are groups and i know you guys did a, a big I, I wish i could have gotten to all the episodes i saw you talking about but um you know i saw you, you talking about nwtf recently but i mean they they have secured land for hunting and habitat like does that count as do, industry or is- do more because hunting is not access is gone. I've been hunting for 42 years and I've never, there's never been a period in my life when access has gotten better. I've watched many, many places that I used to be able to hunt. Now I can't hunt. So it's not working. So they're not a lot doing of- enough. They, they all, and they, and, and, and they're so tone deaf to that, that what their, their solution is, let's recruit more hunters. Which, but to, to their point, you're asking them to do more with, with the same amount. <laughs> well, at the very least, stop doing things that are negative, like subdividing working lands and selling them off as exclusive. Well, my, it, it, just to be clear, so, so that I'm not blurring. NWTF's not doing that. No, like, no. That's not, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about okay. mossy oak. I know. Yeah, real I know. Tree. I just wanted to make sure for the listener, we're not saying that they're doing that because uh, that was the last group I mentioned. Right, um, right, right. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
I mean, that's, that's in in cooperate in in partnership with Whitetail Properties. I mean, and this is what this is what they the hunting industry advertises on hunting television. Hunting television just is a commercial for hunting land. That's what it is. Yeah, that's and a lot of that content is made on lease land. I mean, there's no doubt. I know a lot of these influencers and they're they're hunting with some of the best guides. They show up for three days and they're getting their best shots at like what they've got. Um, but I think like a general, I'd be, I'd be curious your all's opinion on this because a lot of the funding that it would take to do more of that, like the states do try to secure public land, but they they also are paid based on participation, you know, and just some background. Uh, I don't know if you guys have dove into this or not, but, you know, from a funding perspective, the the state and natural resource agencies are a, a lot of that funding's coming from Pinton Robertson and it's coming from tag sales and and revenue that they generate directly. Um, the PR funds are through that excise tax, you know, 10 11 percent on on firearms and ammo. Even a lot of that's used for for R three. Well, but well, and we can talk about that. But a lot of R three's initiative is not just the recruitment, retainment, and reactivation of hunters. It's it's access, like it's archery ranges and that kind of stuff to make sure that people have access to be able to stay engaged. But the the funding back real quick to finish up the PR, we can, we can kind of go into R3 if you want to. Um, but then so that people, I think there's a misconception of like hunters love to, to talk about Pittman Robertson, but I don't think they actually understand how the, and I'm not saying you guys don't, I'm talking about generally when I hear stuff, people don't understand that those states don't automatically get that money. The money is split up. Um, 50% of it is based on the area that you're managing. And then the other 50% is based on tags field license sales. Like they, they have to meet those requirements in order to get that funding. And so that's why the states are pushing. It's a match. That, yeah, that yeah. It's a match that they have to get back. So, you know, if, if you took away, I've heard you talk about taking away half of the hunters, but that would be a big blow to the budget that they have to operate to try to open up access. You know, I, so I would say that, yeah, and, and I got to think that through better. I'd say we could lose half the hunters before we need a recruitment. We need recruitment. But I don't know. If they're, if they're not buying it and filling those tags, then, it's just, then it's just, the, that funding's too, not there. It's, it's just too, there's just, neither of us know. Well, and, 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 we don't. and, and that's I just why think, I think that's that, a good conversation. I, I just thought that there'd be, I think, I just feel like there's room for one group of people in the whole sphere to say maybe we need don't need to recruit more hunters. I think it's like we're the only ones saying it because we're we don't have any we don't make money. Everybody else makes mo coincidentally as it seems not coincidentally as it seems to me makes more money from there being more hunters and indicates to us that we need more hunters. I don't see any of them ever even mentioning or in any way acknowledging that there's been, if you Google, if you do a Google scholar, uh, a search of crowding and hunter satisfaction, that there's been a hundred articles written on the negative effects of crowding on hunter satisfaction in the last decade. So it's like, no matter, there's no set of facts that you could tell the hunting industry or the nonprofits that would make them conclude anything other than we need more hunters. Yeah, but I, 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 tag sales are upward. Matt, Matt, uh, not Matt. Sorry, I can't remember your last name. Other Matt. <laughs> uh, yeah, where, where do you hunt? Utah. Um, which uh, Utah? Okay. 
you know, 10 years ago, it would have taken 72 days for our, for our general season bowl tags to sell out. They sell out in 12 hours now. Yeah, you guys had the... When I was looking through that chart I sent you, you had the biggest lift in Hunters since 2011. But if you look at it, like, who's coming here? You're There are... It's my people. And campaigns <laughs> both have a big... Have both filmed hunts here. We have a really famous ranch. Uh, it's called the Deseret Ranch. Um that that cam haynes is hunted at and he's he films there and they're like yeah this bull is awesome man utah's so much fun to, to hunt at. i've heard joe rogan talk about hunting in utah and how much fun it is to go bow hunting in utah and you can't tell me that maybe if we go back to maybe it takes 30 days for the tags to sell out instead of you know 70 and instead of 72 and instead of 10 hours they, there, there has to be some sort of pause button that we, as a as a hunting community, have to be able to hit and say, "Hold on, it it can't be controversial to to say not everybody can hunt." Yeah, the- it's it, it should be controversial to try to be trying to make that situation worse. Like to say, to say we need to be recruiting more hunters is to say to me. That when I go to a trailhead and there's 40 trucks there, you wish there were 50. Or on the East Coast, when there's people at a boat ramp on the Arkansas River or something, shooting shotguns in the air, trying to threaten each other, and, and like putting 50 ho- horsepower cowlings on 40 mo- horsepower, on, on, on 60 horsepower motors so they can beat people to the spot. Like that. That, that needs to be a part of the conversation. I think like we are at a point where trying to recruit more, more hunters is, is just a major screw you to the existing hunting community. Yeah, I, I do think this is largely regional though. I think you guys feel it more than a lot of people do. Um, I mean, where I'm at, I could go hunt in Modern Gun on public land and I could certainly have success. Like it would be pressured on regional, opening day. It's it's occurring in more regions than it's not. Like I don't know if I would agree with that. Like Texas, there's like no place to hunt in Texas. Well, Texas is a different animal. It's like its own country. Um, and but you know what they're doing there dependent. now? You know what they're doing that there now. They're using PR dollars in Texas to lease up land, agricultural land, and prevent people from hunting ducks there to give the ducks a break. The, so the same the government time, is? yeah, I haven't heard that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Just, I have a I have a friend that's a, just, a PhD waterfowl biologist there. So at the same time, they're like trying to use PR dollars to make more people hunt. They're using PR d- dollars to make it so that they have less places to hunt. It just gets yeah. ridiculous. The flip side point. of that, though, is like I, I have a hard time. Like I'm always a like we should trust the biologists if they like they should set the the tags, right? Like the, the number of tags should be based on what this population can handle. Um, Agreed. So, so I have a hard time. Like if they said that's necessary, I have a hard time disagreeing with it. Uh, but I also have like, I just learned about this 60 seconds ago. So I'm also no, really ill-informed. I, I, I agree with that decision. 100%. Okay. I disagree. I don't see how you go from that to continuing to try to recruit more hunters. Will they, will they open that up once it's done? Will that then become public access though? No. These are not even, these are privately held lands mm. and they've got enough data on, on reproductive fitness 
that they're concerned about these ducks not eat, like they're getting banged at mm. so much that they just feel like they, they have to have these ad hoc refugee refuges and so they you know i don't they they last they that's they interesting pay. i haven't heard of a state doing that i mean it's it's a creative way if that's the only way they can get pressure off although you would think they would just change the season in the zoning you know i think the bigger point is is like why did this have to happen or how can you still be trying to recruit more hunters when that's happening? And like everybody always, I get this a lot that the crowding is a regional thing. Of, but I don't, okay, but it, when it's occurring in more regions than it's not, like, doesn't that make it national? I see, but I just don't know if that, I mean. In California, if you want to go duck hunting in California, you have to like go on a website and sign up and then. You know, get your you get your num- name drawn, or you and then you can or if and then if you want to if you don't get drawn, you can go down and sit there. People show up at three in the morning and wait in a line in case somebody doesn't show up. We have some of that here. Um, in Saginaw Bay in Michigan for duck hunting, it used to be like they have two hunts. You draw you draw a you draw a permit to sit in one of their specified blinds in Saginaw Bay in these wildlife management areas. And they have a a morning hunt and an evening hunt. And people used to take their dogs out in between hunts to pick up cripples. And now you have to draw a permit to do that. California is an interesting example, though, because their hunter numbers have dropped significantly. I would almost wonder if that's not as a result of, like, typical California politics. Yeah, well, I mean, we have one of our main contributors. Um our, our good friend Omar, he lives there, and he says we're deer hunting there is it's insane. So I'm going to make the case. Put aside a minute of creating new hunters, and I, I kind of want to talk to you guys about creating new hunter advocates at the least. So we'll put it. Can we put that lens on it for just a second? I've heard yeah, you guys yeah. talk. We can. We can. St- this is all stuff that I talk about. Yeah, too and much and, and I think you guys we can, can beat this up on others. Yeah. Well, I, I want to. I just want to put something else out there that I think is interesting. I there is an interesting correlation that we can't say is causation that within social media there is a a boom in Western tag uh, like non resident hunting. I and I would agree that some of that has to be driven by social media and, and shows like meat eater born and raised like a lot of people have gotten turned on to that i would call it adventure hunting like it's 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 just a lot different from what the east can do and i think there's there's some appeal there let me um, let me give you just one real quick datum oh please the, my, yeah, the most ahead. convincing thing we can we can come up we've been able to come up with there if if you it, it, we graphed what's happened to hunters per tag Averaged over all units in Utah, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado for pronghorn, mule deer, and elk over the last, since 2016. It, it started out as like two applicants per tag, and it's about five applicants per tag now since 2016. And if you, if you graph that against Google trend searches for the hunting shows you just mentioned and a couple more that names escape me right now. They, those lines mirror each other perfectly. And I just have ethical concerns about that. It's like, what about the people that didn't have to have a camera behind them when they were hunting? They, it was enough for them. Yeah. 
just no, to, I just think, to do it. You know, and Matt, I think honestly, like your argument on that side is compelling. I think um, I, I wanted to put something else in your ear because I think there's a flip side of this where there is some correlation, but I don't I don't think it's causation necessarily um, with the anti hunting groups. And I, I've heard you talk a little bit about this, and I have some strong opinions on it. Mm. And wanted to go down that route if we can for a minute. Um, yeah. Because and and again, I'm not here to to argue with you. Just this is good health. Again, it's all good debate because it's, right. we're, we're, this, this whole thing is making hunters think about it. You know, but on the I, where I do agree with you, and we talked about this at the beginning of the show, gripping grins ha, can do a lot of damage. And and you guys have talked about how anti hunting groups take that content and market it against us, right? And I agree that that happens. Not, I think main, not our main concern, but yeah. No, sure. no, no. But I want to I want to talk through some of this um, because it leads back around to why I think creating at least more hunter advocates, if not hunters, is a good thing. So it just it, it'll put another data point out there for you guys to consider as you guys continue to do the work you're doing. Um, you know, there you could graph similarly um, the volume of lawsuits that have come against hunters. And, you know, and uh, you you could argue that maybe the hunting content is causing that, but I think it's not. And I, I have some information I'd like to kind of go over with you guys that kind of maps out some of the things that are going on external, some of the challenges we're facing as hunters, right? You know, the, the anti-hunting groups are 100% outmaneuvering us um, as an industry. They, they're hiring up the best of the best to fight these battles. I mean, we're talking Harvard grads, Wall Street pros. Um, they're far more organized. They have more attorneys, policymakers, lobbyists, fundraisers than our entire industry, sometimes per organization. And the the trajectory of this has been insane over the last 20 years. And social media has only strengthened them uh, because they're using it really well. But this all kind of starts with, um, you guys familiar with the Equal Access to Justice Act? No. So, so you are, you just don't know what it's called, but this is the act that says when you sue the government, if you win, they pay for your legal fees, right? And so these anti-hunting groups, when this act passed in 1985, they saw it as an opportunity. And so they're, they're suing the government on issues that, um, you know, that they're campaigning against. And it's all the stuff that we see, like all the campaigns against hunting rights, right? Like whether, whether it's predators or trapping or whatever it is. And the way they'll use this, um, they, they they sue the government, and then they start raising money alongside this initiative to help pay for the litigation. Well, if they win, it gets paid for. Uh. It doesn't matter. But they, if they lose, and and they get close to conviction, you know, with with cer- certain policymakers or or someone within the government. They can take this to a, a ballot, like it was. If it was close enough that they, they like, hey, we, we should really just vote on this, right? Well, now they fundraised around the initiative. They have tens of millions of dollars that they can put towards this, uh, towards their cause, and a lot of this stuff is full of lies and deception. You know, I've seen campaigns where they'll say um, hunters shouldn't be able to hunt this animal, well, big cat or whatever, and and in that particular area. You want it, it would be against the law if you did hunt it, but they'll just tell people like you shouldn't be able to do it. And so they're misleading people like, oh, you shouldn't be able to do that. And it's already illegal, right? Like, just as an example, like you shouldn't well, be able to hunt their, wolves what is, in what's Wisconsin. What's their motivation with stuff like that? 
So it's it's getting people behind them so that they can raise money and go and leading into these ballots. So they're they're like an example right now would be Wisconsin. Like you shouldn't be able to hunt the wolf. It's uh, near extinction. Okay. That and it's like, sense. it's yeah. already a or, fact yeah, that you yeah, can't you, hunt wolves, yeah, right? Yeah. But these campaigns are using this, they're, they're using this really intelligently. And in the, their minds, a, a lot of the, they focus on predators because it pulls at heartstrings. But the other things it's doing for, for hunters is if they take predators out of the ballot uh, or off via the ballot, then our ungulate population gets hit. And then naturally there's going to be a downswing in, in how many ungulates can be hunted. So they're indirectly even getting further their claws into hunting, if that makes sense. You know, mm. if, if, if when the balance gets out of swing, they're indirectly able to take, maybe maybe you have less elk opportunity or deer opportunity or whatever it is. So some of these groups, like just as an example, the Center for Biological Diversity, um, founded in only 1983 with 10 people, they have now $150 million a year budget. Um, if you look at their website, it is insane. Like they have attorneys, they have, probably a hundred attorneys listed on their site, Harvard, Yale, Chicago, Stanford, all top-notch players. Um, we, in this one group, I don't know if we have the amount of lobbyists in our entire industry that they have working against us. And they're beating us with catchphrases. You know, they're, they're not looking at science and, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, hunters, like, like I said earlier, I'm like, yeah, but maybe we shouldn't be hunting ducks if the population can't withstand it. Right. Like that's, if the science says that we often will agree with it. Right. That's, that's the way we go. These groups are using those marketing campaigns, like I described to, to clobber us. And it's, it's, you know, the, the center for biological diversity, it's the humane society, USA, best friends, animal society, it's PETA. They're all better funded. The humane society spends $141 million a year on its initiatives it's an astounding amount of money. Um, and you know, all, all of these groups were founded pre-social media. Um, and, and they're the ones that are behind, you know, ballot initiatives like, um, number 91 against trophy hunting right now in Colorado. And you know, that one's targeting, uh, mountain lion lynx and bobcats. And I was just talking with, um, my buddy, Chris Powell with Houndsman XP the other day about like how much of a hit this is going to be and how well funded they are, how organized they are and how, you know, they, they often will, these groups will even plan on losing litigation. They already know they're going to lose and they're already preparing for the ballot. They're 10 steps ahead of our entire industry. And we have, you know, really underfunded groups trying trying to combat this. But just as a couple of examples, I'm going to ramp up uh, my rant here in a second. Well, no, the first this is part very informative. I've learned a lot. I, this is the first part of my rant. So I'm actually just going to close okay. up part one. Yeah, I, um, I enjoyed the shit out of part one. So, but, but when you, um, where I think I, I would like to see, um, I, I think it's great you guys are challenging like industry perception. I think that part's healthy. I, I What I don't want it to become is downsizing groups like Sportsman's Alliance, who I think is like the number one advocate we have for hunting. Are there um, things it, that it, we've said that could be construed as us oh, no. trying? Okay. Well, no, well, let me let me clarify that, Matt. When, I think sometimes I've heard things that like, it sounds like you're, you want less funding for overall, like, or things that would lead to less funding. And I just want clarity around like, uh, you know, I don't want to see like a back channel of like, well, maybe I shouldn't donate my group, my money to groups like NWTF or Sports Alliance. Like, I think these groups are still doing well. Well, I think we do say don't give your money to. I know you do, the, but that's the, the Sports that Alliance is a group three. that Sports Alliance is a group, though, that just this year, they tracked almost 1300 bills. Um, 671 of those were against hunting. 
177 were against fishing, 136 against sporting dogs, 83 against trapping, and 44 states were impacted. You know, so a big part of the reason nonprofits want more hunters is to be able to fund not only the conservation, but a lot of this stuff too. And the flip side of this, this is my part two of my ramp. I think there's an opportunity here. And I think you guys are honestly really well set up to lead a movement like this is changing the narrative. We we have a really powerful opportunity to change the narrative, to get more people to agree with hunting um, and to lessen the blow that these, these really coordinated targeted efforts that I mentioned a second ago could have. There was a 2019 responsive management study. And this group found that 84% of people like Americans approve of hunting for meat. Right. And it's like, it's a no brainer, right? They just read, uh, they just, they do that. Is that there a new version of, of that from responsive yeah, management? Yeah. Um, what was it, the new, do you remember the new number? It's lower. Is it like 80? It, I hear you say like, that the other day. Uh, it, I think it went it, down like three or 4%. Yeah. Yeah. People were concerned about it. There was an outdoor life article about it and stuff. That, about that, the drop. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even they, it, it was interesting because the study had it broken down by species, which I thought was um, cool. And I, I knew you guys probably hunted elk, so I pulled the the number here. Um, but, you know, deer and turkeys for food was like 78% approval. Ducks are 74. Rabbits are 72. Elk was only 70, uh, 66 and then I thought it was really weird that squirrels were 65 because I don't know anyone that's like super passionate about um, saving the, saving the squirrels. But I thought that was kind of interesting that squirrels were at the bottom of that. But you, then you could see where like because people see them on a daily basis, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife is uh, not a hunter, but she's also like never been offended. She's not offended by hunting at all. But like of all the animals, she's like it's just a rat. So she's never even had a thought of like uh, oh you're hunting squirrels. But then interestingly. Um, less approval were was like black bear at 44%, grizzly at 40, wolf at 39, mountain lions at 38, African lions are 14, and and elephants are seven. We won't go into African hunts because we could be here all night talking. Elephants about. went up. That was one of the few species that went, yeah. Well, that's interesting too. Um, maybe people are learning. Uh well, again, I'll stay out of that. But the it, this is the most interesting part of this. Um, if people know a hunter. That approval goes up to 91%, which to me is why we can't stop talking about hunting. Like we, it's one thing to say, like, we, we shouldn't do grip and grins, which I think, you know, I, I've come, I think that's what you, where we're all at. Right. But talking about the wild game part of it, 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 it actually increases people's favoritism towards hunting, which is going to matter a ton on those ballots. When that ballot hits their local uh, poll, you know, we want them to have an approval of hunting. Um, and if they've eaten wild game, this is the crazy stat. It goes up to 95% of people would vote in favor of hunting for food or, or for sustenance. Right. And you know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I mean, people can totally grasp that you're out there doing it for, for the food. Um, and if you were to think about, we have fit, what is it? 15 million hunters. Uh, I think we have nationwide right now. Just imagine like, if we the campaign was like, hey, get five t- people to try wild game this year for the first time, like think how quickly that can multiply our advocates and start to put people up. You know, it's not a hard ask, right? Like I've fed probably forty people wild game at a minimum this year, uh, just just myself at like random friend parties and whatnot. Like, but encouraging people of, to kind of put that lens on it, the good that does, like the data's there, man. Like it, it totally creates advocates for what we want to do. Which, um, you know, and I, I appreciate you guys on access. I think access is really important. 
but also like we have people working against us to take it all away, man. Like it's not just access. Uh, a lot of it comes down to hunters' rights. And you know, if if that we can shift the narrative from focusing on the trophy aspect of what we love to do to focusing on the food, to me that has a bigger impact than anything we're talking about. And then we can really get in the weeds on some of the stuff you guys are are, are passionate about. And I'm I, I agree with you on a lot of this stuff too. Um, I think I think some of the problem, I think a huge problem is the overall, and, and this is tied to why we have less access, but growing urbanization, right? Like a lot of the near where I live was cornfields and farms. And now it's, you know, apartment buildings and they've put in shopping malls and a lot of the habitat's just disappearing. And uh, Matt, I know you're maybe on on uh, bad terms with your brother right now. Uh, I heard you say on Cable Smith's show, but like one thing I loved, I heard him say one time is, and, and and I always think about this when I drive through this one particular area. Probably I must have been listening to his podcast when I was over there, but um, you know, it's like once it's changed from habitat, it'll never be habitat again, you know. And and so, uh, but we, you know, we we live in a world where eighty three percent of our population lives in urban areas or suburbs, and people are just losing their context to reality. You know, they're not they're not seeing where their food comes from. They think food, I mean, you guys have probably seen this like arguments on social media and you'll, you'll have someone that comes in. It's like, just buy your meat at the grocery store, like everybody else, as if that wasn't still a dead animal, but they're, they're distanced from it. Right. And, you know, I think, I think the, the way to rectify a lot of that, like food to me is the answer to the problem. Yeah. It, it depends on what you think the problem is. So I am very open to the idea that I, that I, I'm under concerned. I, I I should prioritize threats from the antis more. The reason I probably don't is visceral. It's that the anti-hunting movement has never impacted me in any way, shape, or form. Um, but leasing has and crowding has and in increased participation in hunting draws has. So I, I don't know. That's it's you could you could very well be right. I mean, in my and, but and then there's a part of me that's like sympathetic to the anti-hunting movement. Like, if I had to choose, which is it going to be? That hunting in America becomes like hunting in Europe, where it's a rich man's game, and then it also there's this other element with where it's the cost of hunting goes through the roof because so many people are bidding on it on hunting opportunity because they want to use it to make statements about themselves. If that's where we're headed, headed, I'd, I'd almost prefer, I, I would prefer that the anti hunters win at that point, you know? So I, I'm just disgusted enough with the orientation of hunters towards using it to make statements about themselves enough that like that, that feeds in to like my threat prioritization. So to me, it's like, I'd say first it's the, the commodification of hunting opportunity, the hunting for love and likes and all that stuff. That's the number one threat that leads to locking up of lands. And that's number one. Number two would probably be habit, hab, habitat destruction. Three would be diseases like CWD and stuff like that. EHD. Um, and then the last would be our reputation among non-hunters. But, you know, I'm not confident that I'm right about that 
and anything we can do to both make it so that more people are hunting that incentivizes hunting for the right reasons and alleviates reputational concerns with non-hunters there's things that we could easily do that would help with both of those like take dead and dying low wildlife off the computer that would help yeah. with both of those I, things I, I think uh a lot of my initiative i talked about like to me losing hunting rights is the most important thing and we can disagree on that there's no like there, there's and no you might be right. right yeah but but the where i think there's a path that like the action helps both of us and our points here um is just how we present what we do you know how we the content we show matters and i've argued this for a long time and i'm very on board with you know keeping our content clean and presentable and making sure it's not used against us and not presenting an image of hunting that you know we have to be a better pr advocate for this you know um, let me ask in a more direct way i tell me how having images and videos of dead and dying wildlife helps with what you think the biggest threat is i i'm not advocating for it so i well, why not why not advocate against it if you think it's harmful i have i i have i but have you advocated run a, against you public. run a social media site that's replete with it yeah it, in in a hunt camp environment like it, it's to me like can hunters not show other hunters they're they're no that's that's okay that's a fair you know, answer that's and, a good answer and, and we're we're like the anti-influencer platform dude again i don't have you know a cameron haynes level influencer on there you know you'll see some guys that are posting on there um but it's it's not like we aren't driving that kind of um discussion again i think if you guys used it you know or at least checked it out i think you'd see that a lot of it is more hunt camp kind of conversation it's dude, yeah and, and, and your appreciation I, I appreciate for the fails. Your, i appreciate what you're doing like it makes sense you got it into like a a spot that's just kind of walled off not intentionally you know but it's not like well, it is intent yeah no it is though but like that was the whole idea was to wall it off like it's again, if, even if, if account, a PETA member wanted to get on there right now they, they could. could but but, but if it was paid like, they still could you know it's right, like you can't no, no, really right right i did well it's just like a certain kind of person a hunter is incentivized to go on there a non-hunter is probably not even gonna notice it you know th yeah. that that makes sense to me that and I, I very much appreciate that like i that you both have some angst about putting imagery of dead and dying wildlife on the world wide web like that gives you some reason for pause and that you're concerned about our reputation amongst non-hunters. Like, I just really, I, I really struggle with people, and there are a lot of them. These howl guys are are like this, and I agree. I, I, I'm glad these howls out there. I think that it's a great uh, service they're providing by making hunters aware of issues that, legislative issues that are relevant to them. But how you could be like, I am the the anti-hunting movement keeps me awake at night and then be posting pictures of kill shots and, and yeah which i don't i don't do that you know that's, yeah, no, that's, that's what like, i'm saying i appreciate yeah, that yeah uh, and, you have a consistent and funny enough, stance about you, that you and i can um talked about uh our, our podcast we we're kind of joking about uh me saying i kind of podcast and then we'll have like eight podcasts drop a month 
But our our whole uncensored show, we've approached it almost as the anti-influencer. Like, dude, we get on there. I just told the shot of uh, the story about how I missed a shot of the deer this week, and like, it's trying to make it normal again to where people don't think that like the 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 12-minute YouTube video is reality because a lot of it's not. And a lot oh, of it we is... might have to scoop you on this, Matt. We should put, have some epic fail episodes. <laughs> I'll see what I can do on that. I got yeah, plenty of epic fail I'm, stories, I'm, dude. I'm, uh, oh, we'll have you on. We'll have you yeah, on for it. My We kicked off that podcast. The first episode was about that doe that turned out to be a buck. Um, and it, it's always that way. Now, la- last year, I had some guys that ended up with wins and you know, we celebrated that. And, uh, you know, one of my guys got his first public land deer and it wasn't some crazy, it was like a six, a normal six point buck. And he was super proud of it because he got out there and figured out where there was pressure and figured out the behavior. And he, he hasn't been hunting a ton, you know, he, he kind of grew up hunting with his grandpa, but, um, he, when he started working here, really committed to learning it again and taught himself a ton. But, uh, the, you know, the interesting part of this inflection point is he also learned a ton from a lot of these creators who do post kill shots. And that's where I think it's more complex. Um, you know, uh, I would, I would say there are a lot of guys that do it really well. Um, are you guys the better? They do it. The worse they are for access. The more they, the, the more tasteful it is, the more it makes the doctor or the dentist go, Oh, I'm going to get a hunting lease. It makes hunting more expensive. At the same time, it, it is building the narrative though. And this goes back to where I think we're just a little bit different. And like, I, to me, like I would accept having more hunting pressure if we were able to tell a better story for hunting that, that secured a future where hunting is legal. Okay. But, okay. So when you say more hunting pressure, you're, you're like, even though it causes leasing. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I'm saying more, more people leasing or public or, or whatever, you know? I would look at who's the narrative for as well. Like if, if we're looking to tell a narrative to the rest of the world about what hunting is, are, are we forgetting about telling a narrative to the hunters that are here now? Are we willing to look at hunters and say, we are going to make everything about what you love to do harder and less enjoyable, but it's because the, the antis will feel better about it. Do you, do you think <laughs> yeah, I'm just, do you, but, I can't get on board with but that? Matt, yeah. do you do you think that like those hunting influencers created all this new pressure? Like were those all new hunters? Do you think those were all just new hunters who saw Meat Eater and decided to go west? Oh man. I think there's a huge the number of it. Huge number. Like look I at, think you guys are significantly overestimating the power of, of the reach, though. I mean, look at look just as an example. I, I just I don't I, I know influencer marketing is powerful, but I don't think it created like millions upon millions of new hunters who have come out and put pressure on the west look at media i'm not i don't i don't have a west like i just want to yeah i know i have a nash a national i have our our 12 people that are working on issues are positioned all around the country i have people but there's data that would contradict some of what on the least side of things that people are actually pretty content and i have some of that i can i can mention some of that in a minute there's been some research that Man, but, not the not the people we talk to. That is, they t- people. But just people, as an example, I get so many angry emails about when I was a kid, I could bang on doors all over, and now I can't get on anywhere because it's all leased up. That's like the narrative from the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, that's that's anecdotal, man. I can't. I just can't like take that and be like, oh yeah, that's the landscape for the country. Like, 
The, you, you think that the it's potentially stable or declining? No, no, no. I'm not saying either way. I think people I in the hunting industry would, would... I could even show you meat eater articles that are bemoaning the fact. And these are industry insiders that people now... Like there's one that one of the... On Wired to Hunt about... I can't remember the title. Are we shooting ourselves in the foot or something? It's about how deer hunters now of means lease up a farm and then, but they're afraid that the deer will wander onto the neighboring farm. So they lease all those too. Like, yeah, but that's anecdotal. Like, that's what I'm saying. Where's the, where's the actual data? Like one, one Bubba in an article doesn't prove anything. I'm not saying it's uh, not, leasing's not, (laughs) not wide spanning. I'm just saying you are, some things are take, I, we all have full-time jobs. We can't do a study on leased acres, but. Well, man. there was a study that came out um, that I don't have the exact year. This was recent um, that had, you know, 75% of public land hunters are satisfied with their experience. And that was from the American Hunting Lease Association. Like it doesn't even benefit them from the data point. Uh, and then Georgia had two different studies that had similar results that uh, 98. 98- oh, we're arguing about two different things. We're talking about whether or not hunting least hunting acres have increased or not. I mean, look at it this way. We we did a podcast. So we've been doing podcasts with different um, agencies that hold, that pay people to let their, let the public come onto their land. We just did Utah a few weeks ago. Their data is saying a couple, a few years ago, they had like a hundred thousand acres of land available for the public to use. It's dropped down to 50. Like that is a direct result of either a landowner saying, okay, there's someone else that's willing to pay me more for my land, or I don't want anybody on the land, right? Regardless, it doesn't help hunting as a whole for the future if people are, if if the states are losing land that a bunch of people could have hunted and now only two or three can Matt could tell you the same thing about Montana. Oh, Matt, you know, I, I don't disagree with that. Like, who would disagree with that, though? Like, having less land is a bad thing. Like, I'm not making that argument, just to be clear. There's a lot of companies that would, Land Trust, for example, would make that argument that the more land they have. I, I don't work for them, and I can't speak to, like, what they're doing. That wasn't what I was saying. I didn't say that, like, I, I was saying, like, that there's definitely pressure in more in some areas than others. That was my point. But, yeah. Agreed. That was a deviation off of what I I, I was talking about, though. I I can't get behind that. Like social media is the only thing that created. I wouldn't say I wouldn't I wouldn't assign it. I wouldn't say that either. Like if it was as powerful as I feel like we're saying, like Mediator is by far. Would you agree that's the most powerful platform? I mean, they've, they've had Netflix. They've they've had you know they reach millions of people, and even their own brands are still at a fractional market share. You know, it's like if it was so powerful, I think like from an actual like that's their business model. You know, I think I think a lot of what has created is not creating new hunters. It's give it's opened up a lot of people in the East to realize how different they could like, hey, I want to go do, try some of these things I've learned about. I don't think it's created. And I don't think I haven't even seen the trend lines where anything besides COVID the 2011, there was a spike. And then there's another spike from COVID. And most states are already down from that spike that I've looked at. 
some are trending upwards and there's some of them I don't understand why, like in the East, there's a random surge, but the Western states are still seeing it. But what I would expect with more hunting media exactly is fewer hunters, because I think that hunting media makes it so it, it increases, makes it so that places that used to support 20 hunters now support two. And I have had people on my podcast that have least gotten into hunting and leased land as a consequence of listening to my brother on the Joe Rogan experience. I know people that have come to Montana and gone hunting with leased land outfitters that have never hunted before in their life as a consequence of watching Meat Eater. And it's not just anecdotal. This is what the hunting industry is betting on. We have shows like The Hunting Land Man and Whitetail Properties where they show hunting content and then try to sell you property. We have many, many hunting shows are the, 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 the outfitter donates the hunt and then, but uses that television show to attract clientele. I, I don't understand how we could even begin to formulate a cogent argument that hunting media is good for access. It doesn't, it does, the hardest thing to get to be a good hunter is access to wildlife. And look at what people spend their money on. Like, like Matt was saying, $20,000 in an elk tag. Like Joe Rogan, when he hunts elk in, in California, those Thule elk tags are $60,000. The hard part is if you want to be extremely successful, it's not how-to content or having warm clothes or the right bow. If you want to be like maximize your excess success per hour spent hunting, it's access to land where there's good populations of game and hunting media is terrible for that. Yeah. I think the challenge though, man, like if I'm a landowner and I get approached for a state program, I think the, one of the biggest concerns it comes down to is like liability Montana, then, uh, we have 6 million acres in our block management program. It's a 25-year-old program. Used to be 7 million acres, but now it's called going to land trust. And there has never been a lawsuit. They are immune from prosecution. They have impunity if they're in this program. And I think the other states are that way as well. I, I can't speak to it. And I, I told you guys, I said, before we did this, I said, I, I'm going to, I will tell you if I don't know something, I don't know the answer to this. This is my concern. If I was the landowner it would be liability, but then also when something is free, you value it less. And I see this on public land, man, like people just don't take care of it. You know, they, they throw trash down, they uh, leave stuff behind. That would be a concern. So that's the concern. I'm going to give you what I think you're going to have to do to solve for this leasing challenge. There has to be a way through government funding where people can make at least comparable money to something that they can do with these leases. Well, it'd be a lot easier if it wasn't for hunting for hunting TV and hunting social media jabbing well, up the cost. Sure. I mean, that, I mean, I understand what you're saying. That's there. why I, it's it, like a last ditch effort. I'm saying boycott hunting media because that's what's dry. That's what's making it so that these government programs can't compete. 
Yeah, I think there's an opportunity though for hunting with meeting. their big two two hundred inch buck, you know, that they're posting on social media, so that everybody looks at that and goes, "Oh man, I got to get a bigger lease so I can get that." I mean, yeah, I, it's like that's what it is. I've spoken to two people though in the last couple weeks who have said um, there were investors from big tech, like Silicon Valley people, and they said man, we're starting to really see like the value, like we, we've we seen Meat Eater and we get it and it's really cool. And, and like that, uh, I, I'm sure like the, you're, you're, you're. Anytime you, you get all, venture capitalists invo- involved in hunting, that is a bad uh, thing. But listen, what I'm saying is the, the narrative is changing because of, of the content does have a good impact though. Like hunting can be presented in a way that's favorable and not for access, not but which is well, what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about crowding. public perception. It's, I'm talking about public perception. With that, this is where we're we're split, and that's fine. Um, but I'm just saying there there are. If it's benefits. so powerful and so great, then why in the last five years has accepted public acceptance of hunting has gone downhill? It must have been poised to like plummet. Well, but that's and, our, and, that's <laughs> and the, and the, and hunting media stem the tide. No, somehow. that goes back to what I was saying a minute ago, and that you can't. You can't say that hunters are also contributing to that because the the opposite side of the aisle is so well organized, so well funded, and they just have their shit together ten times better than we do. And, and I, think, I think they end up we end up screwing ourselves over though because you say, and I agree with you. What's free? We tend to not care about what's free. I agree with that. We also tend to not care what's care about what's not what's not attainable. And, and meat eaters is a good example because they just posted a video of a really rare hunt that you can do right outside Yellowstone for elk that's in the it's in the buffer zone. They just posted that hunt or the vid, the the video of that hunt, and I guarantee you the number of people that are, that start applying for that tag is going to double. Yeah, like, I'm look, sure it has. How many people start applying for that? It's yeah. it's already an impossible hunt. And it's going to be, and that's going to double. The and, same thing is going to happen for, the same thing has already happened for limited entry tags in Utah. You, you need 20 points, which takes 20 years to do in order to get a limited entry tag here. It, it's going to make it so people do not care about hunting if they can never go hunting. I, I don't think anyone can never go hunting. I, I don't think it's like, People might miss out on some, like, yes, your local tags, but, like, you still have opportunity, period. I can't like, afford to stop. go to Georgia. I, I, I'm not talking about Georgia. There's still over-the-counter tags in the West that, that are still eligible. Um, but it's it's hunting. It's not hunting when you go to when you go to a valley and there's a sea of orange out there. And everyone listening has been in those situations. where But you, the tags are capped. Like, that's... I, they're the, not, though. They're not capped that in, in certain areas. There are way too many tags that get allocated to to some of these units where there's no elk or there's no deer or there's no turkey um, or there's not enough ducks to go around. Yeah, I think there's a lot of units in the in the country now where harvest is inversely proportional to how many tags they give out. They would kill more if they gave out fewer tags. Because the pressure is so intense, it just drives. Because the pressure is so intense, it just probably drives everything to down on the private. 
There's a they are are one of the local universities here in Utah, Brigham Young University, did a study on elk movement uh, compared to what the season does, and they they found that as elk get or as the season the right the general rifle season hits here, all the elk move on to private land. And then as soon as that, that general season ends, they move off the private land onto the public land again. Yes. Same, they did a similar effect. study here in Custer Forest in eastern Montana and saw the same thing. Like by day two of bow season, there's been this dramatic shift on to private. If you could wave your wand and there's half the hunters tomorrow after this conversation, do you do it? Uh, it's not a number for me. Or go ahead, Matt. You can say first. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's not about the number for me. It's about what Matt has said before. It's about hunters who are out there that could care less about posting a picture. I, would, I, would I love to take a grip and grin and send it to Matt and say, look at this big elk I got? I've done, I, I've done that with turkeys, and he's, you know, he's done the same with, with elk that he shot, where we send, to, you know, we send pictures back and forth. Um, I want an industry. If I could wave my magic wand, I want an industry that is able to receive feedback where there are people there to say you do good, you know, you do some good things, but here's one thing that you do that's really bad. And I want you to stop. And I don't want that to be that controversial. It's not about the numbers because we get into a numbers game. You're going to talk about, but I've heard you guys say on this, or like in some, I've heard Matt at least say that like you want half the hunters. What I I would say is I I would, I don't think that there's any reason to have to be, trying to attract people to hunting so and 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 i and we could get it to down to half of what it is now and reevaluate at that point but i just think that the effort i think that the the impetus to bring more people into hunting is financial And, and and i think it's a betrayal of the existing hunting community so but without those hunters, that I think that that's the I've hunted with hunting influencers and hunting celebrities that are is way more pissed off than I am when we see somebody else. Like who who pays for it though? Who pays for trying to open up more lands and for managing these biologists and the populations? Like the the current population we have is what's funding it, and even then, these agencies are still dependent on federal dollars to to be able to just. You know, keep I just don't think norm. of wildlife as being on on like uh, on life support systems. I don't. We don't think, have that option when we when we build into their their habitat. Though we we've kind of taken that out when we started building roads through their migration corridors and putting you know suburbia up in their their previous habitat. Like we we kind of have to manage it. I think most of the deer in the elk I hunt wouldn't notice. If, I, dude, that's so not the case out here. Like, I think they'd notice. Deer, oh, there's few, few fewer people. Deer kill 200 plus people a year in car accidents. They they cause billions of dollars in damage. You have them being sniped out here in the east because there's too many of them. Like the, the it's a real problem to try to manage the whitetail population in the east. Like we just can't not manage them at this point. Well, but I've also but isn't it also incredibly crowded in some of those places? on public land and I mean, isn't 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 uh access to private land kind of tough no i mean no it's it's i, I can just I go bang on doors and get access and if i hunt and if i hunt on public it's there's no one around i personally have not struggled with this and where i'm at in kentucky but like i i grew up in southeastern kentucky 
I I was just scouting a WMA the other day. It's fifty three thousand acres, and I didn't see a soul in bow season. And I thought I was I was listening to you on a podcast earlier with some guy in Michigan, and you were talking how about how insanely crowded it was in some place. Oh, on the on. on my private lease, I was doing. Uh, it was probably where I, I've been hunting the last five years. I had it wasn't a paid. I, my buddy's my friend's dad gave me. Uh, he had like seventy acres that I was hunting, and the, the pressure there was a lot more than where I was hunting public. But I'm saying like I have options. Like, it's not like, uh, I was hunting that cause it's convenient. It's close to my house opening day, dude. I heard 200 shots in 2020. I counted them like tw- and 200 you wish, shots. And you wish you'd heard 400. No, I'm not saying that, that I, I I'm saying that overall we have to find a way to better share our story and get more advocates. And if that means a 20% lift for hunting. I'm okay with that. You couldn't squeeze any more hunters in where I was hunting on that day. I'm like tucked into all these property lines. I mean, maybe you could, I don't know, but that's fine. Like for me, my, my take is like, I am okay with more hunting pressure for myself. If it means better advocacy for hunting when it comes to litigation against us, because we're in the fight for our lives over the next 25 years. I like Matt's argument. I've never made that argument before, but I think that's an awesome argument is that I don't think people are going to be sufficiently energized to fight the battle if they're hunting is shit if you doubled i would wait i could say this i'd way rather have the number of hunters than double it i don't think we i'm not i'm not advocating to double it if you take my hunting away from you i'll become an anti i'll i'll join PETA. you know but but having hunting pressure is different than taking it away i think of the hunting industry and the hunting nonprofits as threatening my hunting i wouldn't be surprised here's you're worried about the big battle with the antis in the next 25 years. I'm worried that in the next five, these pack llamas that I take care of all year it, so I could elk hunt, that elk hunting will become a draw. It already has in places in the state. So that's a more immediate threat to me. And BHA, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they're headquartered in my state. That's what they want. They want, they want it there to be more hunters when you make more hunters, you make things go from over the counter to draw. They want me to not hunt every year. But but it, again, it goes back to funding. Like with without people paying into the system, the states that are trying to acquire more lands and working on access don't have the budget to do what they need, you know? But we won't pay into the system then. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's like the no funding's higher than it's it. ever been. Pittman Roberts no dollars. Pittman Robertson's dollars are higher at all-time historic highs, and access is still dwindling. And and like more money but, for conservation, that see, bit, the, that ignores that, the loophole, the, that, that ignores all the scientific evidence about what intense hunting pressure does to habitat. It makes public land everything from waterfowl to elk to ptarmigan to brown bear. There's peer-reviewed scientific evidence indicating that intense hunting pressure has negative, has all kinds of deleterious effects on fit, fitness costs, redi- spatial redistribution onto private land, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like this, we need more hunting for, for co- hunters for conservation. I say we need less hunters for conservation based on peer-reviewed scientific evidence. So I, I built my platform for people who were pursuing it and wanted to learn about it. And along the way, I have been an advocate of the R3 movement. And um, I think it comes down to more, the recruitment side of it is what so many people hammer. 
But R3 is just so much more like a lot of what R3 is trying to do is making access and regulation. They simplify regulations. That's a big part of, part of their focus, providing access to information. A lot of their focus is for current hunters. Um, I think that the talking point for you guys and for a lot of the industry has hovered around the creation of hunters. But, you know, I was at the symposium in 2018. It's, it's not just the creation of, you know, more hunters. Um, so I want to leave like my biggest advocacy here is that we we better get focused on creating more advocates for hunting because we are in a fight whether or not we want to do it. You know, it's like whether if you guys won, like in a perfect world, Everybody tomorrow unfollowed Cam and everybody. Just Meteor has no audience, whatever. Whoever you're you're saying that is is kind of driving that traffic. If all that goes away tomorrow and half the hunters go away, just in like you guys have no pressure, you got whatever tag you want, you're it's still at me. risk. It's not me. It's I'm not doing this for me. If I was trying to secure good hunting for myself, this would be the most ridiculous way I could think of doing it. Like, but I'm saying, I, I, I just what, want to make it clear that, like, because yeah, no, I, you, I, I you could read saying. thousands of comment negative comments about me online, like that I started a podcast and a movement to save my own hunting. It's like the most ridiculous thing that I can imagine. I, if I want, I could take all this money, all this time, and make money with it and get a hunting lease. I wouldn't even have to. I make enough money, I could go get a hunting lease right now. I'm doing this because I'm trying to protect quality hunting for people that do it for the right reasons and to protect light, uh, hunters that do it for the right reasons from the industry who's trying to just crowd them out and make it so they can't get a tag. It's like, so, it's not about me. Yeah, and I, that's fine. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't, I mean, you're the guy though. Like you, you started this whole thing and that's so, you know, however you want like i'm directing this at your message okay my message is we better be focused on creating advocates along the way too or even if you guys got everything you wanted you're still going to be in the fight for everything that you love in the in the, over the next decade or two you know the 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 if no one posted another grip and grin again and it, even we can wave our wand and there were none that they could even find to use for their campaigns it doesn't matter because they've got the sad lone wolf crying over her pups and all these that's, pictures. But that, that's not at all why I want grip and grins to go away online. No, I understand. But I'm saying I'm I'm not talking about your point. I'm talking about my point, uh, okay. which is we have to create advocates because these groups are going to continue to hammer away. If you're I would love for your audience, if you do anything, I don't even care if you download my app, go to the Sportsman's Alliance website and just look at the news of everything they're fighting and all of those, all of the ballots that are are, and are coming up for vote and all of the litigation they do. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not making this stuff up for anybody listening. Like, this is all very real. This is how New Jersey lost their bear ban. Now they brought it back because they were like, holy shit, this was a terrible idea. Uh, we have bears like crawling out from under porches now because they're so overpopulated. But that's a rare win that we get something back that was taken away from us, right? So my my point is, uh, using content for good is still possible. I think social media influencers can use their content for good. Um, I, I understand your all's argument, but they're crowding the opportunity. And I, I think there are, I've told you from the get-go here, I think there's some truth to what you guys are saying. Um, we're not in disagreement on a lot of this. I, I think there there's probably 60% 
of alignment. And I like you, Matt. Like both of you guys. Like now that we've like, I, you know, and I, like, you, Brad. I, I, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, like I, I truly believe you're a smart, the the articulate day, guy. I appreciate it, but the you know the the at the end of the day, I think what you guys are doing is good. And if I've provided anything, if I've told you at times here, like, hey, I I hope you guys find a way to phrase this this like thinking through the industry thing I talked about. You know, I I want you to continue creating narratives in the hunting space that make people conscious of their content, like your side of your of of hunting pressure, uh, an opportunity, or or mine of like, hey, we gotta get our narrative together. Whatever it benefits both of us if we can get that under control. Yeah, I agree. I uh, would way rather we had a good reputation among non-hunters than a bad reputation among non-hunters. Absolutely. Well, guys, I uh, any other questions? It's ten fifteen here on the East Coast, so uh, <laughs> no, uh, I can go uh, no, longer was... if there's more you wanted to hit on. But I, I'm kind of uh, I'm sitting here. I had stuff I, I had planned on even talking about. I think we could do four more hours of this stuff, but I think it's uh, I feel like we we had a good chance there to hammer out some some interesting debates. Absolutely, Brad. I really appreciate you taking the time, and you know, I I I, I wish you the best. Um, I can't help but i won't be able to help but like think back on this conversation and, and wonder about more about this anti-hunter thing and i will check out this um hunter's alliance thing a little bit more yeah closely. sportsman's been, alliance um, sportsman's the, alliance i've been yeah. hearing about them for years i just have never Dude, really... they're a great group i think you guys would would really appreciate the the aspects of what they're doing I, i'm a member it's like 35 bucks a month you can donate or a year uh for like the general membership and i'm not getting paid by them uh there's no nothing here i've worked with them in the past on some stuff we've kind of collaborated on stuff but it's not they've they're not a sponsor or anything so um i just out of all the groups i i do uh i have a lot of groups that i like within the the space i think like you know all of all of the lobbying arms from these nonprofits are doing really good work to try to protect our right to hunt uh, but these guys, man, nobody's got their finger on the pulse like these guys do. So, um, you know, I think it's really important to to try to support them. Um, and I, I, a lot of my data points I've kind of just picked up from being friends with these guys and learning about. I had no idea on how organized groups like the Humane Society. It sounds like this fluffy thing. We're going to save cats and dogs. But groups like that are 100 percent focused on taking our rights from us. They got in a bunch of trouble a couple of years ago because they were euthanizing a lot of they had these no-kill yeah, shelters. PETA's been on, on that, too. Uh, PETA, <laughs> there's been cases of PETA kidnapping people's pets and killing them. It's it's crazy. I mean, in, all, in my opinion, most of these groups are fairly out there, uh, almost like extremist mindset. But, um, yeah, that, I, I've tried to, you know, a lot of my narrative and what I've been focused on has been protecting hunters against these type of groups. Yeah, well, good on you there. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Awesome. Thanks, guys.